Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Alpine Church. My name is Scott Krebs. I'm a teaching pastor here at Alpine, and I want to just welcome you. If you're a first-time guest with us here today, thank you for joining us, and we are all about helping people pursue God. So wherever you are in that journey, we want to help you take the next step. As Pastor Joel said, and as you know, Christmas Eve is on Tuesday. It is right around the corner. And there is so much uh, we're looking forward to for what God's going to do this year. And I just want to invite you and make sure to just say you're invited to our Christmas Eve service. You don't want to miss it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, our kids are part of the service. They sing a song. We sing a lot of Christmas songs, and it's a really good time. But also, this is, as Joel was saying, it's a great event for us to invite people to church. And you'll notice these little business cards all throughout the church building, uh, right outside the doors of this, this uh, auditorium, in the hallway there, there are all these cards. And I want to encourage you to grab lots and lots of these cards and invite your friends, your family members, neighbors, coworkers, take them and give them away outside the grocery store, whatever you want to do, uh, just grab a lot of these cards because they are totally worthless as of Wednesday to us, okay? So let's put them to use. Let's put them to use. And here's the good news. You, I say this all the time. You've probably heard me say this before, but 50% of people who never go to church will go to church on Christmas Eve and Easter, but one thing has to happen. What's that one thing? They got to be invited. That's right. They got to be invited. And that's our role. And, you know, as I was just looking and talking to people today, there are people here in this room right now today that came to Alpine Church, first of all, because they were invited to a Christmas Eve event. And now they're, they're leaders here. They're walking with Jesus. And so you could play that role in someone's life. You can make an internal impact in someone's life by inviting them. So think about those prayer cards. Think about those people that you've been praying for and invite, invite invite, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun on Tuesday. Okay, now I want to talk to you for the rest of my time. I want to talk to you about Christmas. You know, we just wrapped up our series on the Ten Commandments, and so we thought we'd take this one Sunday before Christmas to talk about the true meaning of Christmas, which I don't know about you, but I really need. What I've really realized this year is it's so important for me to come to church on Sundays this time of the year. Now, it's always important. It's always great to come to church and to be with God's people and worship God together. But this time of the year, which is supposed to be about Jesus first and foremost, it's supposed to be about relationships and family and other people and service. It's so easy to get distracted. And so uh, today I want to talk to you about the true meaning of Christmas because it's so easy to miss out on it. This last week, um, our family, we went on a little holiday decoration scavenger hunt where we had this list of Christmas decorations that we had to find in front yards in our neighborhood. And so we spent a, a long time doing that And because uh, I'm kind of a completist. And so we had to like uh, check off all those Christmas decorations. And that got me thinking, what's the most Christmas lights that anyone's ever put up on a house before? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. In 2001, the Richards family of Australia set the Guinness World Record for most Christmas lights on a house with 331,038 bulbs. That is a lot of lights. And that record stood for 11 years until Tim Gay and his family from New York decorated their house with 346,283 lights. Now, what do you think the Richards in Australia did when they heard that? They didn't want to have the most lights in the Southern Hemisphere. They wanted the world record. So they upped it the next year, and they decorated their house with 502,165 lights. 
almost 30 miles of electric wire. Well, the Gay family was not going to let some Australians take the record, okay? They got their revenge. They covered their two-acre property with a display that involved 601,736 lights. And that is the record. It took two months to build, includes 200 songs that lights play to, including Christmas songs and top 40 hits. So 601,736 lights. You have time to break the record if you start now. Now, somewhere along the lines, those families lost the true meaning of Christmas, didn't they? (laughs) Somewhere along the lines, they forgot what it was all about. And what is Christmas all about? Is it all about parties? Is it all about family meals? Is it about office Christmas get-togethers? Is it about fighting airports and traveling back to family or praying that it doesn't snow in Wyoming and you can drive across it to get wherever you need to go? Or... Is a little too close to home for some people, huh? And, uh, you know, what's it about? It's about buying presents and spending more money than you intended to buy gifts for people you really like and some that you, you you're, they're okay, you know? <laughs> what's it all about? Well, to, to look at the true meaning of Christmas, I want to go back to the Christmas story and I want to look at two groups of people. First, I want to look with you at the wise men and then I want to look with you at the shepherds. So let's do that right now. Let's jump right in by looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. And we are going to look at the first group, the wise men. Here is what the word of the Lord says. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, even if you're new to church, you probably are familiar with the wise men before. Uh, if you have a nativity scene or if you've seen a nativity scene, there are probably wise men in it. You know, there's Jesus and then there's Mary and Joseph and the manger and some animals. And then there are three guys off to the side. Or if you're like us and you lost one, there's two guys off to the side in your nativity. And those are the wise men. Now, I want to say a few things about who these, these guys are. It says here that wise men came from eastern lands. So the first thing to understand about the wise men is that they are sort of outsiders in the Christmas story. You know, most people in the Christmas story are Jewish. They are ethnically Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. His first followers were all Jewish. They are the God's people in the Old Testament. The Israelites are the Jewish people. They're ethnically Jewish. And so the, the, the New Testament, I mean, much of the New Testament is written and it's about people with a Jewish background, uh, but the wise men are different. Uh, they're not Jewish. They come from outside of the land of Israel. Here in the Bible, it says eastern lands. It probably means they come from somewhere in the Babylon area, some 750 to 1,000 miles away from Jerusalem. And you know, historically, sometimes they've been called kings. You know, we three kings, there's a song about that. Uh, But the Bible doesn't actually call them kings. That was a bit of a misinterpretation of what the Bible says. The Bible uses the word magi. And the word magi is really difficult to translate, which is why we use wise men. Basically, these guys were astrologers. Um, They were into divination. They would look at the stars. They would look at things that we would call maybe more occult practices to try and discern the future, discern what was happening. They were pagans, in other words. They weren't guys who grew up believing in the God of the Bible, believing in the God of the Old Testament, or, and uh, honoring Him. Uh, they were pagans, yet somewhere along the line, they 
ran into the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the first two-thirds of your Bible. They ran into the Bible, and they began to read it, and they began to see that it, it prophesied about the coming of the Messiah, the King of the Jews, and they believed in Him. They believed that what the Bible said, that, that God's Messiah was coming. And it says there, so they, they come to Jerusalem, they come before the king, and they say, you know, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? Now, this title is getting at the person of Jesus and who Jesus is. And in the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, we are told that God's Messiah was going to come. Messiah means anointed one. And the Jewish people expected God's Messiah, the King of the Jews, was going to come from heaven, come from God, and He was going to do a few things. He was going to rescue the Jewish people. The Jewish people were living in the Roman Empire. They lived in their homeland, but they didn't get to control it. They had to do whatever the Romans told them to do, and they paid taxes to Rome. And they thought, when the Messiah comes, He's going to get rid of the Romans, kick them out. But then if you read the Old Testament, you find that that the Messiah isn't just the king of the Jews, but he's the king of all people. He's the rescuer and savior of the whole world. He's going to come to save and rescue anyone who believes in him. And so when the, when the wise men show up, they say, the Messiah is here. We saw his sign. We know he's here. Where is he? Now, the sign that they're talking about here is, it says there in verse 2, we saw his star as it rose. Apparently, there was some sort of star, some sort of cosmological event that told the wise men that Jesus was here, that, that Jesus had arrived. They saw that star far off when they were in Babylon, and they came to the area around Jerusalem, figured he's a king, right? So he's probably going to be in Jerusalem, and then they find him eventually in Bethlehem. Now, we don't exactly know what that star was, if God was using natural means to get their attention, or if uh, it was a supernatural star that, that God put into the sky there to lead them, some kind of supernatural event. But whatever the case, clearly it was from God, and it was leading them to Jesus. So that's, that's, who, the, that's who the wise men are, these wise men that we encounter. And the wise men teach us something very important about the, the true meaning of Christmas. And the wise men demonstrate the true meaning of Christmas by seeking Jesus. That at the end of the day, Christmas is all about encountering Jesus, encountering the Savior, encountering the Son of God. What's amazing is the great links that the wise men went to do that. And what's also amazing is that, that God even included these guys in the first Christmas story. Because as we said, they're pagans. You know, they don't they didn't grow up worshiping the God of the Bible, and they're into divination, which is condemned in the Bible. So these guys are sinners. They've messed up. They're doing things the wrong way, and yet God in His grace and in His mercy shows them love and says, hey, would you, you want to, we want to, I want to use you. We're going to use you and make you part of, of the, the coming of Jesus. And I just think that's so awesome, how radical God's love is, that God is radically inclusive in His love. That God's love is for all people, especially people who feel like they're on the outside. God's like, those are the people I really want to know my love and to know how much I care about them. And God loves to use those kind of people, like the wise men themselves. And so God includes them in the Christmas story. And I think that's important because, you know, you might be here today and you might think, man, I don't know if God really does love me. I don't really know if God's mercy and grace really extends to me because, you know, maybe you think of all the things that you've done, all the the times you've messed up, the relationships you've hurt, you know, the people you've hurt, 
and you think, man, God, God can't really use me. And in the Bible, we see over and over again, including in the story of the wise men, that God will use anybody he wants to. Anyone he wants to, God will use. And don't be surprised if you're here today and you're a Christian. Don't be surprised when unlikely people start showing up, when God calls unlikely people. You know, I was thinking of a friend of mine, Jeff. You know, I, I first met Jeff um, a, a number of years ago. He had just gotten out of rehab for the fourth time. And he grew up in a really religious family, but when he was in high school, he just kind of walked away from church, walked away from God, wanted nothing to do with it, got caught up in a life of drugs, got, you know, tried to do as much as he could to sort of distance himself from his family, started running with a tough crowd, he, he got, you know, got lots of tattoos, got tattoo sleeves, not that there's anything wrong with that at all, but just to kind of tell his family, like, hey, you know, I, I'm different now, I'm not, I don't want any of this anymore, I'm doing my own thing. And when I, when I met Jeff, he, like I said, he just got out of rehab for the fourth time, but something had changed in him. He met Jesus in rehab. He heard that God loved him, even in spite of everything he did, in spite of all the times he messed up, in spite of all the, all the terrible decisions, all the broken promises to his family, all of that, God still loved him. Jesus died for his sins, and he put his faith in Jesus, and God got a hold of his life, and I mean, he, God's used him just in amazing ways in the years since. But he's such an unlikely convert to Christianity, and I love that. I love when gra- God grabs people like that. Because really, you know, all of us are kind of an unlikely convert. All of us are messed up. All of us got our own issues, got our own problems, have our own hang-ups and habits that pull us away from God. And God loves to draw us in. And that's what he did with the wise men, right? God, God grabbed them and he drew them into that first Christmas story. And that's what God does. Because God isn't just the king of the Jews. It says there that Jesus is the king of the Jews. But I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Jesus is the king of everyone. He's the king of the Chinese and the Ethiopians and the Peruvians, and he's the king of the Americans and everybody. God's love, God's family includes all people, and it can include you too. In Jeremiah 29, 13, God says this, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. You will find me. Those wise men, they followed a star, right? All the way across from Babylon, 750,000 miles, they followed a star all the way to Bethlehem, all the way to that that little house where they met Jesus. That's pretty good Google Maps for 2,000 years ago, right? And they met Jesus, and, and you can meet him too. Imagine, I want you to imagine, you know, we think of three wise men. Imagine if there was a fourth wise man. Imagine that there was a fourth wise man who was friends with all the other wise men, and, and, you know, he read all the same Hebrew scriptures that they read, and he saw the signs, and he saw the stars, And the other three wise men were like, hey, we're going to go find the Messiah. We're going to go find the King of Kings. Come with us. And what if the fourth wise man was like, you know what? You guys go ahead. I'm really busy this year. I can't do it. I got a lot going on, you know, remodeling my kitchen, you know. My oldest kid's a senior in high school. We got a lot going on for that, you know. It's just not a good year for me to go find the Messiah, right? Imagine that. Imagine if he said that. He missed out on everything that they experienced. And yet, that's kind of like us sometimes, right? We see all the signs. We, see, we hear all the messages pointing to Jesus. We sing all the songs about Jesus. We know what it's really all about, and yet we can miss out on it. I don't want you to miss out this Christmas. I want you to seek Jesus. That's part of the meaning of Christmas. The second part of the true meaning of Christmas also comes from the wise men. The wise men demonstrated the true meaning of Christmas by giving to Jesus. Right? One of the things that you might know about the wise men is they give these gifts to Jesus. Verse 10 and 11, it says this. When they saw the star, talking about the wise men, they were filled with joy. 
Because what had happened, if you read chapter 2, what had happened is the star brought them to Jerusalem, and then they didn't find Jesus, and then the star, I guess, reappears or moves again and takes them to Bethlehem. So when they finally get there, they're filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, let me say a couple things about the wise men and a couple things about your nativity scene before we go any further. Uh, the first is, if your nativity scene's got, you know, there's the manger and there's Jesus and there's Mary and Joseph, and then there's wise men, your nativity scene is wrong, okay? I just want to tell you right now, because the wise men weren't there for the first Christmas. Look what it says right there. They entered the house. <laughs> this is sometime later, all right? This could be months. It could be a year after Jesus was born when the wise men finally show up. So if you want a biblically accurate nativity scene, take, and it's like in the living room, take your wise men and move them to the dining room, okay? Because that's where they were. They were traveling along, you know, they're like, they're coming, guys, they're coming, but they're not there yet, right? So first Christmas, no wise men, but they show up at some point. And also, um, how many wise men were there? We always say three wise men, but the Bible doesn't say. We say that there were three wise men because there are three gifts, but there might have been a lot more. There could have been 122 wise men, all right? Could have been, that's a big house, though, big house, but there could have been... 28 wise men. We don't really know. We just know the Bible says it's a plural amount. But when they come up and they find Jesus, they are filled with joy. They can't contain themselves. They've gone on this long journey, a scary, a dangerous journey, a hard journey, a journey that could have ended in failure, right? It's hard to go 750 miles in the ancient world. You couldn't get on a plane. You couldn't take an Amtrak train. You know, you had to, you had to walk or ride donkeys, and there were robbers, and there was weather issues, all kinds of stuff. So they finally show up, and they're filled with joy. They enter the house, and there they see Mary and Jesus. And what do they do? They bow down and worship Jesus. Now, these wise men aren't kings, but they're wealthy. They're well off. They're important. They're influential. They might work for the king. And yet, as important as they are, what do they do? They bow down, and they worship this, this, little, this little boy, which is pretty incredible, because Jesus, from a human perspective, wasn't very impressive. His parents were poor. We know that based on the kind of sacrifice that they offer in the temple for him. They're very poor people. His dad is Joseph's a carpenter. And there's all sorts of scandal around his birth, right? The virgin birth, right? That's still hard for people to believe today. It was hard for people to believe 2,000 years ago. They knew where babies came from, right? It was, it was scandalous. And yet, in spite of all of that, these wise men bow down and they worship him and they give him three gifts. They open their treasure chests and they give him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What's, one thing we should see from that is that's a pretty natural response when you encounter God to give him gifts, to worship him, to bow down to worship him, and to give him things of value that show, you, show how much you value him. That's what they're doing. And what's incredible is if you know the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus and his death and resurrection, these gifts are really, um, they're really symbolic. Now, I don't think the wise men understood all the symbolism, but it's worth thinking about for just a minute, those three gifts. First, there's gold. Gold is the gift that you give to a king, not to the son of a carpenter. It's the gift you give to a king, and Jesus, as we've already said, of course, is a king. He's not just king of the Jews, he's king of kings and lord of lords. He's the king of all people. He's the king of the universe. And so gold is a very appropriate gift for him. They give him frankincense. And frankincense is a, an incense that would be burned in the 
in worshiping of a god or worship in the temple. It was part of royal processions in the Old Testament. It emphasizes, so symbolically, this emphasizes the fact that Jesus isn't just a human king, but he's God himself, God in the flesh, the Son of God. Now, the Bible teaches that Jesus is fully, totally God. He's not God Jr. He's not God Light. He's not like 95% God, just a little short, you know? He's fully God. We sing that song, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God is triune. He's Trinity. One God and three persons. And so, the, the gifts emphasize the king, the fact that Jesus is king, the fact that Jesus is God himself. And then the last one, myrrh. Myrrh is a spice that's used for many things, but one thing that was used for in the ancient world was to embalm people. And so what does this remind us of? What does this point forward to? The fact that Jesus is going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And so this looks forward to his death and his burial. And so in these three gifts, you get a picture of who Jesus is and what he's going to do and what he's going to accomplish all the first Christmas as these wise men bring their gifts to Jesus. So what about us? The true meaning of Christmas is in giving gifts, not just to each other, but to God as an act of worship. So what kind of gifts can we give him? You know, we can give him our time. That's pretty valuable in the 21st century, isn't it? Our time, our precious time. We can give him our time. We can give him our talents, our abilities. We can use the abilities God has given us to bless him, to worship him, to bless other people. And we can use our treasure, our money, our stuff to bless other people and worship him in his, in his name. You know, when you give financially to the church or to people in need, that is an act of worship, just in the same way that singing is an act of worship, that praying and telling God how great he is is an act of worship. Using your money to help people in the name of God is an act of worship. And so I think one of the great ways that we can use our gifts or we can give a gift to this year is Missions Week, right? We just talked about Missions Week, our opportunity to help people all over the world, help people here in Utah, help people in the foster care system, all kinds of great ways that we can help by being part of that, being part of those activities, and also financially supporting them. I think that video said we're 31% of the way there. We have less than a week, so we've got to get on this one pretty quick. <laughs> We gotta, we, we, we've got to be generous with what God has given us, and that's part of the true meaning of Christmas. You can do that today, and, and I want you to even think about that when you give towards Missions Week or, or just give to the church generally, whether you write a check and put it in the giving box or go on our website, go on the app, however you do that, I want you to think of that as an act of worship, an act of saying, God, I love you so much. Here's a gift. Here's a gift that I hope helps other people in your name. So that's some of what the wise men teach us. I want to look at one last group of people that you might be familiar with from the Christmas story, and that's the shepherds. So the wise men are really after Christmas. The shepherds, though, they were there that first Christmas night. And the shepherds demonstrate the true meaning of Christmas by sharing Jesus with others. Now, before we look at the story of the shepherds, uh, there's some things you should know about shepherds in the time of the Bible, in the time of Jesus. Shepherds in the time of Jesus were not really well thought of. They were considered very low class. Uh, they had a, a very difficult job. You know, they lived outside, they worked outside, they smelled, as, you know, they were working with animals all the time. They were nomads, they were loners, they, they weren't really looked upon with any kind of regard in their society. In fact, this had gone on for a long time. In the book of Genesis, if you're familiar with the story of Joseph or his dad Jacob and his sons, they were all shepherds. 
And when they make their way down to Egypt in the book of Genesis, we read, every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians, which that's why when Jacob and his sons came to Egypt, they had to go away to a kind of a, a more rural area is because the Egyptians didn't like shepherds. And this idea made its way into Jewish thought. And in Jesus' day, people didn't really want to spend any time around a shepherd. And yet, what group is it that God chooses to share the message of Jesus with first? It's shepherds. Let's look at the Christmas story again, Luke 2, 8 through 9. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. I just love this story so much. <laughs> I want you to imagine that you're a shepherd. And you're a shepherd, you're out there on the hillside, it's late at night, your sheep are asleep, you're just doing your thing, you know, you're just scrolling through your phone, doing your thing. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. An angel appears, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounds you, and what's your response going to be? You're going to go, ah! <laughs> That's what they do, they're terrified. They're freaking out. They're like, what is happening right now? Well, verse 10, but the angel assured them, don't be afraid. Okay, <laughs> that's easy for you to say, angel, right? The angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. What is God's message to the shepherds? The Savior's here. The one to rescue you from your sins. That's who Jesus is. That's the story of Christmas. That's the story of Jesus. That's the story of the whole Bible. Is that you and I are sinners. We're separated from God. Sin is anytime we fall short of God's standard. Anytime we don't do what God tells us to do. Anytime we do what God says you can't do. That's sin. If you were here in the Ten Commandments series, we, we talked about a lot of types of sin. So you have, you have a really good understanding of that, right? And sin separates us from God. So God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross for our sins. He was buried. And three days later, he was raised from the dead. And the Bible says, if you believe in him today, if you trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, you will be forgiven. You will have eternal life. That that message the angels gave to the shepherds is the same message that God has given to you. You have a savior and he is alive and by faith, by trust in him, you can find salvation today. If you just say, God, I'm a sinner. Would you rescue me? Would you save me? That's a prayer of salvation. That can be yours today. And so the angel says to the shepherds, good news. He's here. He's in the city of David. And then they go on. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. It's pretty odd, right? I mean, if you thought God was going to come to earth, I think I'd be like, okay, you know, did he descend from heaven, you know, with a flaming sword? Did angels carry him down in a chariot? And it's like, no, 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 he's, he's in a manger. He's in a, a food trough for animals with his poor parents. But they said, you go and find him. And so God brings this salvation. He brings the good news to these down and outers in verses 16 through 18, it says, They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. 
So they, the shepherds, they rush over, they hear the good, they see Jesus, hear the good news, they see Jesus, and what do they do? They go and they tell everyone about who Jesus is and what he's done, what God's done through him. And it says that everyone who heard was astonished. Here's the thing about shepherds in the ancient world. Not only were they looked down upon, not only were people not really interested in what shepherds had to say, shepherds were so mistrusted that they weren't even allowed to testify in court. If, if you had a court case going on and your only witness was a shepherd, they're like, sorry, he can't testify. <laughs> Send him outside, right? And so who does God choose? Of all the people God could have chosen to, to testify about the coming of Jesus, who does God choose? He chooses the people on the outside, the people at the bottom of society, the people who are an afterthought to everyone else. God says, those are my people. I choose them. Go meet Jesus. Not just go meet Jesus, go tell everyone what you saw. And that's how God is. God is all about finding those who are on the outside, those who are shunned by family, by society, those who are on the margins, those who, for who life has been really hard, life's been unfair, life's been cruel to, and God says, I love you. God loves everybody, but he says, I especially love you. Not only do I love you, I want to use you. And I just think that Christmas is an awesome opportunity for us to be used by God, an awesome opportunity for us to, to go to people and invite them into a relationship with God. And so that can look a lot of different ways. You can, be like the, you can be like the shepherds and you can just tell people, here's who Jesus is, here's what he's done in my life, here's what he wants to do in your life. You ready to sign the contract? You know, you can say that, though you don't say the contract part to him, but you can, yeah, you don't want to do that. But you, can, uh, but you can share the good news of Jesus with them or you can just even start more simply and invite them. Invite them to church. Invite them to Christmas Eve. Just start that way. This is the week, the next several days, this is our opportunity. This is the, the, the opportunity we have right now to invite people to meet God, to encounter God in a new and fresh way. And so my prayer for all of us is that we will go through this Christmas season, that we'll see the, what it's all about, we'll get the true meaning. And as we seek Jesus, as we just give him our gifts this year, that we would draw more and more people to himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that you speak to us. Thank you that the Christmas story, which is so familiar in so many ways, God, still speaks with power. And God, I pray for anyone here today who feels like they are outside of your love or disconnected from your love or that your kindness doesn't extend to them. I pray that they would see that that's not true, that you long to have a relationship with them, that you have sent your son to die for their sins, that they might have new life. So God, I pray that you would just um, pour your love into everyone here, God. They would see um, just what the stakes are for them and how far you've gone to rescue them. Lord God, I pray that as we go out from here today, we would go out on mission, on mission to just see how you are working the lives of other people and into, invite them into a deeper knowledge, a deeper understanding, and a deeper relationship with you through, through relationship with Jesus Christ. God, help us to go out to be your ambassadors, to be like those shepherds, and tell every, everyone we can about how good you are. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.